Amen, amen. You may be seated. He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's okay if you said he is risen indeed. There's probably a billion other people on this Sunday morning saying that same phrase. But today, kiddos, get that sheet of paper. Let's try one more time. He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's so good to see you this morning. It's so good to celebrate this Easter Sunday. It's weird for me to say good morning, but good morning. And I want to talk to you kids for just a quick moment. Quick moment, okay? You've got your clipboards. Grab your little goodie bags. But I need to ask you something real quick. Does anybody see what I brought with me today? Can you see through that? They're eggs. You're right. Now... Are they normal-looking eggs? No. Why are they look different? Duh. Have y'all ever had an orange egg? Some of you maybe. Now, if I ask you a question, can you give me an answer? It's an easy question. Ready? What do you think is inside this orange egg? What do you think? What do you think? Candy? Okay. Now... There's a word for this, and the word is expect. Wendell expects candy inside of this egg. What do you expect? What do you think? Anybody seen one of those confetti eggs? Who expects confetti? All right. This is an orange egg. You expect all different kinds of things. Just like Jesus' followers expected Jesus to be king... And then they thought this was going to be a cool egg, an orange egg, and awesome, it's going to be great. And then he died on Good Friday. And then they found maybe, well, man, is he just like, you ready for it? Is he just like every other egg? I mean, king that claimed they were something, but in the end, it's just another ordinary person, right? What's in that egg? Sorry, Wendell. That's a yoke, and it's probably a little funky because I've left this out all night last night, and they're very disappointed. Thank you, my friend. But then he was laid in a tomb. Now I've got a green egg, and everybody's expecting, well, I don't know. Maybe there's something new here, and so what do you expect in this egg? Hard-boiled Skittles. Thanks, Robert. What do you think, Cohen? A baby chick? Ooh, that would be pretty awesome. Then we're doing magic tricks on Easter. Ready? They went to the tomb on Saturday, and they probably, now not really Saturday, but kind of early, early Sunday, and they were expecting what? Huh? They expected it to be empty, you think? I think they went to the tomb, and they were expecting to roll away the stone, and they were expecting the egg of the tomb, or the green egg, to, you ready for it? Look like every other tomb. Oh, man. You wanted a baby chick? We go to cemeteries, we go to graves, and we expect the same old stuff, the same old egg. But what about this egg? 
They expected a body in that tomb. All the parents are groaning because they know it's Easter. But just maybe, what do you think is behind this egg? What do you think, Ellie? Nothing? Let's see. God is more full of surprises than I am. Because you're right, Ellie. The egg is empty. Whoa. But listen. I need you to know that on Friday they expected, well, I guess he's just another old king. Died like the rest of them that said they were going to change something. I need you to know that on Saturday they went to a tomb expecting what they always found inside tombs. Not yokes, but a body. But I know that God is more surprising than I am because y'all heard my stories and y'all seen Easter stuff. Maybe you knew that this egg was empty, but you got to understand they did not expect the tomb to be empty. And if I showed them on that Easter Sunday, they would have freaked out way more than Cameron did. He knew this thing was empty, but they did not expect the tomb to be empty. But I need you to expect the unexpected because God is more full of surprises than I am. So understand that Easter shows us that Jesus was not just an ordinary king. Jesus is the true king of the world. Amen? I need you to understand that an empty tomb is not just another body and yoke, but I need you to understand that Easter shows us that death is not the end. Amen? And I need you to understand that because the tomb was empty, the egg was empty, that life is available to all creation. Amen? Some of you say, we've heard this story, and I say yes and amen, but we need to hear it again. We need to celebrate because we still enter into the rest of our life with expectations of pain and tears and darkness and death. And Easter says, bring it all to the tomb. In the story that Leilani read, they brought all their expectations of a king who was not a king. They brought all their expectations of a body laid in a tomb. And then we see Mary bringing her tears, her pain, her hopes crushed. I need you to know, bring all of it. Bring all of it to the tomb. Not because we ignore it. Not because we say you'll never experience it. But because we say that's not the ultimate. Death is not the end. Life is available because Jesus has conquered death. So like those disciples in John chapter 20, and you're free to look there if you have a Bible or have a phone. I'm going to tell you that story again. But I want you to, like those followers of Jesus, come with your expectations and your disappointments and your tears and see something today that might surprise you. And if you see on your worship guide there, right at the bottom on that second page, I'll tell you, no one saw the resurrection. There was no, like, um, camera hidden there waiting. Nobody saw Jesus pop up, take off the clothes, roll back the stone, and walk out. No one saw it. I don't think we think about this enough. But there's something remarkable in John's story, chapter 20. The word saw happens at least six times. So what did they see? The word looked happens a handful of times. What were they looking for? 
That's what we're going to explore. And the invitation, I hope, is that you will see something of the risen Savior. Even if we didn't see the mechanics of it, you can see the new creation that happens because of it. Let's pray, and then I'm going to tell you that story again. Father, we are grateful for you, our almighty and ever-living God. We are grateful for Jesus who was on the cross and stretched out his arms of love so that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. And we pray that Saturday, as it lifts to the dawn of Easter, that we would be illuminated again by the light and love of resurrection and that even though we look darkness and sadness and death in the face, we can say confidently that death is not the end because you are alive. Alleluia, amen. We pray this time would be a blessing to us for your word and your news might penetrate our heads and hearts that we might see you clearly. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Nobody saw the resurrection, but they saw something. It was still dark on the first day of the week. The women go to the tomb. John highlights Mary going to the tomb. If yesterday was any indication from our decorations, women get things done. Amen and amen. Mary was going to the tomb expecting to find a body to continue the burial process. And then she sees the stone rolled back. And I need you to know, she did not expect Jesus to have been raised. She thinks what? Somebody's taken this body. But what it does at least is signal something's up. But I need you to understand that the first emotion of Easter is confusion. Okay? It wasn't, oh, I've got my Easter best and it's beautiful. Look at this new day. It's confusion. It's a question posed like, what in the world is going on? Who took him? The first emotion of Easter is confusion. But get this. There's a cousin to confusion, and I think that word is possibility. And I think that somewhere in the midst of Mary saying, what in the world, perhaps, just maybe, Like her, we can take one step to the left of confusion and say, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe God is up to something. I don't think Mary's there yet, but I'm inviting you at the beginning of our story to see possibility. What Mary saw was the stone rolled away. Do you know that God can use circumstances in our life to get our attention? Yes and amen? Yes, mostly in a negative way. Guess what? It got Mary's attention in a negative way. But God loves to work with questions like, what the heck? What in the world? Who stole him? God loves to work with our questions. They get our attention and they invite us to see possibility. Beyond confusion, could it be that something is going on here? So then in the story, The race begins. Y'all remember who's racing toward the tomb? Mary goes back and tells a couple guys who starts running back. Peter, someone said John. It says another disciple, the beloved disciple. I think that's John's humble, braggy way of saying it was me. You know why else I think it was John? Because he has a whole verse that says how he and Peter ran toward the tomb, and the other disciple got there first. Um, he got there first. He, he was there, and he, he looked first. He was younger and a little more lighter in the legs. 
That's why I think it's John, because that dude was humble bragging that he won the race to the tomb. And so they race there, and the disciple Jesus loved, John, perhaps, he just sticks his head into the tomb. And what does he see? The text says he sees grave clothes. I say he sees mystery. Peter comes, and he barrels right in. He doesn't peek in. He barrels right in, and he sees the head cloth. The reason I think they see mystery is because who steals a body but in the quick thief, thiefing theft, goodness, I'm not used to mornings. In the quickness of taking a body, who would neatly wrap grave clothes? I think they see mystery. So we move from possibility to mystery, and we see these two guys trying to assess a scene that is so beyond them, but I need you to know that God not only loves to work with our questions, listen, God loves to work with mystery, because mystery sends us searching. You may have been told that in the Christian faith, it's all about certainty, There's no room for questions. There's no room for discovery. I'm here to tell you that the biggest day in Jesus' story was one filled with mystery and questions and confusion. And I think God loves to work with that because it sends us into the darkness of the tomb to take stock and say, is this all that's happening? Peter and John see mystery. They saw the grave clothes. They saw the head napkin, but they saw mystery. God loves to work with mystery because it gets us searching. So if mystery gets us looking deeper, when the other disciple, John, goes into the tomb, what does he see in verse 8? He sees and believes. But if you're looking at our guide, I think he sees enough. What did John see? He doesn't see Jesus yet. He doesn't see angels yet. He doesn't see light yet. But he sees and believes, which is why I think he moves from mystery to enough. I've seen enough. God is up to something. And I think it's like something I saw when I was 10 years old. I had grown up in church. I had grown up and heard the Sunday school lessons. And then we went to another church And I went to a vacation Bible school. We played fun games. And I need you to answer another question. Did I have it all figured out about Jesus? But at 10 years old, I didn't have it all figured out, but I saw enough to know there's something here. There's something that I want to hitch my wagon to. There's something I want to give my heart to. And I love the way Frederick Beekner says it. A Christian is one who points at Christ and says, I can't prove a thing, but there's something about his eyes and his voice. There's something about the way he carries his head, his hands, the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me. God loves to work with enough. Whatever faith you can scrape up, whatever you see that's enough to get you into a relationship, God loves to work with that. 
So whether it's possibility, maybe there's something, I can't prove it, but there's something about his voice, his hands, the way he carries me. And then it sends you into this mystery to look deeper. Then it sends you to this place of, I've seen enough. John has not seen angels. John has not seen Jesus, but he saw and believed because faith is a relational journey of discovery and trust. In almost three decades since I said, I've seen enough, I want you to know I've discovered more and I've doubted more. But there's something about his hands, the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me that keeps me coming back and discovering there's life here. There's life in Jesus. God loves to work with enough. It gets us into relationship to keep growing. All right, Peter and John are there. They've looked in, they've assessed the scene, they've dusted for fingerprints, they don't find anything. So they start to head home to where they're staying. And then what happens is that Mary is still there. Mary's there outside of the tomb. She's taken in this whole scene and she looks through the entrance of the tomb herself. But guess what she sees? Angels, you're right. She sees an angel at one end of the bench and another end of a bench. Isn't that hilarious too that Peter and John came rushing in and all they see is some tattered rags? And then Mary looks in, I don't know, five minutes later and boom, there's angels. But if you're following along in that worship guide, you know what else she sees? She sees as she enters into a dark tomb, light. There's something powerful about our faith that says, go all the way in with your expectations, with your tears, step all the way inside the darkness of the tomb, but be prepared to be surprised with the light that pierces through the darkness. This is the Easter story. She was expecting to see more confusion, more pain, more darkness, but instead she sees... These two figures from heaven shining through the darkness say, why are you crying? What do you think about that question? Isn't that kind of weird? They probably knew that she was like, uh, somebody's taking Jesus. I think they ask, why are you crying? Listen, not to explain away her pain. Not to say your tears don't matter. I think they say, why are you crying? Because this you're about to see is not a moment to weep, but a moment to rejoice. It's not because your tears don't matter. Our pain does matter. Step all the way into the tomb. Bring it there. But expect that light can pierce the darkness and transform your vision. I think they say, why are you crying? Because they realize that her tears are about to be wiped away. And that's the challenge and invitation of Easter because you say, dude, I'm still sick, I'm still broken, I'm still living in and amongst the tombs of darkness and we're singing about how death is defeated and I'm facing death, I'm staring down death and we say, yes, your tears are valid, they matter, but I'm here to rehearse the story again to tell you that death is not the end and that life is the invitation for you to keep looking until you see heaven breaking through and new creation transforming. Until the day that Jesus wipes away every tear from our eyes, God loves to work with tears. But we should always put our tears into the context of light of resurrection. 
So these angels are talking with Mary. Peter and John, they didn't get to see the angels. She sees the angels. Why are you crying? She tells them, dude, because they took Jesus. And as she's having this conversation, she turns around again. Did Peter and John see Jesus? Did they see a resurrection? No. Mary's about to get two on the scorecard. I saw some angels. Now I'm about to turn around and see. You ready? She sees a gardener. She's so broken. She's so tearful. She's so upset. She seems to be unfazed by the angels. Don't you love how in Christmas and every other time in scriptures, somebody sees an angels, they freak out. So the angels have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. She seems unfazed by the angels. She is so lost in her own little world that she turns around. She sees a man that she's known for years, and she's like, this must be the gardener. Tell me where Jesus is, dude. She turns around, and she sees a gardener. And he asks, we know it's Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. He asks the same question. Why are you crying? But he adds a humorous other question. Hey, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? It's like the guy that has his wife's keys, and she's like, where are my keys? Where are my keys? And he's saying, they're just going, I don't know. Hypothetically speaking, I don't know that this has ever happened in a marriage where someone's looking for something, and it's right here in front of you. This is what's happening. But if we move from that hypothetical and get back to our gardener, I love the fact that she thinks he's a gardener. The tomb would have been in a garden area, so that makes sense. But let's pull the metaphor back and say, what does a gardener do? If you were reading along with Brian Zond in our Lenten devotional, you would have seen that he loved to think of Jesus as a gardener. Why? Because gardeners work with living things with their living hands. And gardeners aren't afraid to get dirty and messy. There's a reason they're called green thumbs. Because they work in earthy and intimate spaces. And you know why I don't like gardening? Because gardening takes time. And because gardening is not an exact science. Gardening is not a one-size-fits-all. And so the reason I love to think of Jesus as a gardener is he takes you, and when everybody else in your life thinks you should be together, you should have it done now, you should just give a little water, and some miracle will grow, and you're good. But Jesus loves to work with confused and mysterious and doubting people, and he loves to cultivate resurrection life within them. This is the journey of discovery and faith that you're invited to. Easter puts the world on notice. It says he's alive. He's here. And guess what? He can work with you. And more and more light can shine in your life, even though it takes time. Understand this, that God loves to work in the gardens of our lives. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty and he loves to bring new creation out of the old. I've heard a preacher say in Queens, Rich Fiotas, that the heart of Christianity, listen, is not to make bad people good. It's to make dead people alive. Like the flowers in the back of our backyard that I thought were long gone, and all of a sudden we walk outside this weekend and they're alive. 
like you and from wherever you came with all of your tears, with all your confusion, with all your doubt, wouldn't you say hallelujah and amen if the gardener Christ has wrought new creation and new birth step by step in your life? It's not to make a bad person good. It's to make dead people alive. I told you that God had more surprises than I did with my blue empty egg. The surprise comes most surely for Mary when he calls her name. Isn't it beautiful that she only recognizes her Savior and teacher and Lord when he calls her by name? This is the song we sang at the beginning of our service. He called my name and what? I ran out of that grave. For Mary, her grave was... Uh, dashed hopes and dashed expectations, but she's out of that grave when he says, Mary, and all of a sudden, a wave of recognition comes. There's something about his voice. There's something that makes him recognizable, but there's also something different. When he says, don't hang on to me, you can assume that she wrapped him up in a hug, but there's something different about his body. It's huggable, but it's different. There's something that death can't penetrate here. And he says, look, I'm in this space that I'm just about to go back to the Father. So don't cling too tight. But there's also a change in relationship. If you have the Bible open on your phone or, your, or in, in your lap, notice that after he says, hey, hey, one, one sec, one sec. But he says, I need you to go and tell the others that my God is their God. That my Father is your father. Easter is something of a surprise that we are now part of God's new creation family. Something has changed. The world has been put on notice that Jesus is alive and there's possibility there that we might live with him. Nobody expected him to be raised, even though John tells us at the end of the story, hey, they didn't realize it even though he told them. But they see now that Jesus is Lord and that if that is possible, perhaps we will be like him someday also. So he sends Mary out and she becomes the first Easter preacher. Y'all know what her sermon was? It was shorter than mine. Ready? Jesus is alive. This woman becomes the apostle. Apostle is a term for the sent one. She becomes an apostle to the other apostles. They don't have any good news to share if she doesn't share good news to them first. She's the first Easter preacher and the first Easter sermon is you expected him to be dead, but he's alive. You expected him to be a failed king, but he's the true king of the world. Come and see. As we close this portion and we sing again, Last spring, I went to a silent retreat, which many of you that know me think, yeah, right. But for three days, I was mostly quiet. I was quiet when people were around. And most of the time, I didn't have my phone in my pocket. But when I first settled into this retreat center, it was a place for Catholic monks, that I started to explore the grounds. It was set on a lake. It was beautiful. And because I had my phone and we were just settling in, I saw all these statues in and around the place. 
And so what I would do when I'd see a statue, like right at the entrance with Jesus, and he's like showing his heart, and it's a Catholic image, the sacred heart, it's burning, I love it. I'm like, that would be a cool tattoo. So what do I do? I snap a picture. And then I keep meandering around. And then I see Jesus and Joseph. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I don't think about Joseph that much. And what do I do? I snap a picture. And then I go around the other side. And then this other garden, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. I say, I don't think about Mary that much. These Catholics, maybe they're on to something. And I snap a picture. And then I walk a long way away. And then I see an enormous crucifix. I mean, like taller than this uh, ceiling. And so what do I do? I walk up to it and say, hmm, cool. And what do I do? Ready? Snap a picture. It wasn't until the next day, after some silence, after I left my phone in my room, after I've been really getting settled and into a space, that I made another lap around the grounds. And I saw Jesus with the sacred heart. And I saw Jesus and Joseph. And I saw Mary. And then I saw the crucifix. But I saw something else. At each and every statue, there was a bench. So before I walked and I just snapped a picture and missed the fact that where Jesus is sharing his heart that's burning with passionate love for the world, there's a bench there. And then I missed with Joseph holding Jesus as a human one, a child that made himself nothing and humble. I noticed a bench. And then when I went and saw Mary and her care and concern for all the broken-hearted women and men in the world, I saw, you guessed it, a bench. And then when I went and saw this enormous crucifix that we talked about on Good Friday, if you keep looking beyond the ugliness and the violence, what you see is not God's anger burning out on the world. What you see is God's love radiating out in an ever-expanding, ever-deepening invitation to say, come and behold, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what grace looks like. This is what a king should look like. And to prove it, he's going to raise from the dead. And if you trust him, if you see seek him. If you look long enough, you'll see that he's the reigning Lord and you're invited in. And when you give him your life, I give you my life in return. And if you give me your brokenness, I give you forgiveness and grace in return. If you give me every bit of your thoughts and expectations and desires and your tears, you will find one day that I will wipe them away and you will be with me now and forever. But you've got to keep looking. What was in front of that crucifix? A bench. And there's something about the story you hear every year on Friday and the story you hear every year at Easter that is so much bigger than snap a pic, listen to a podcast, and move on with your life because we've got eggs that we got to get. The invitation is that whatever you see, keep looking until you see. Keep looking through your tears. Keep walking into the dark tomb and keep looking because you just might see possibility that gets your attention long enough to say, God might be up to something in my life. And if you see that, keep looking because you might see mystery. And the mystery that gets you searching deeper, I see this darkness, but is there light? 
Because then you might see enough. Enough to say, I can't prove it. I didn't see the resurrection. But there's something about the way Jesus is alive because he carries me through the darkness and pain of my life. And if you see enough, you can be set out on a journey to see more and more light piercing through the darkness until finally you turn around and you see a gardener that's cultivating and making something of my broken life. And when you see that, might you see a Lord that's victorious over sin, death, and evil. And maybe each day it's a mixture of all of the above, but the invitation for you is to keep looking until you see the world's true king and that death is not the end and that life is available were we to come and behold the risen Christ who lives and reigns forever. Amen and amen. Receive these words before we are dismissed. May we see glimpses of God's light and life bursting through the cracks of our lives, families, and neighborhood. See what God is doing in the darkness before the dawn. So may the Holy Spirit strengthen us in hope, enrich us with love, and fill us with joy so that we might go from this place proclaiming good news, echoing Mary's words, I have seen the Lord. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.